Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we actually have a ton of Apple news. We're going to be talking about iOS 15.2, Universal Control Delayed, Swift Playgrounds 4, some LG displays that are rumored, and more. This episode is brought to you by Headspace, VPLS, Wealthfront, and Masterclass. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me this week is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. Uh, apparently, I have a stuffy nose, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Maybe maybe I made that up. If you don't, yeah, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Sometimes that sick voice is good for radio. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's just the cold weather up here. I, I mm. you know, slowly killing me. So it might just come through in my voice. It's fine. <laughs> well, it's uh, plenty sunny down here. If you ever want to come down to Florida, you know, highs in the 80s this week. That's only a 12 hour drive. I might make it. It's amazing, Wes. Usually when we get to this time of the year, there's not much news, and for some reason, it just keeps coming. Apple releasing new software updates and all this. So wanted to touch on one of the big things that came out this week, which is available for everyone. But iOS 15.2 came out for iPhone, iPad OS 15.2, tvOS 15.2, and watchOS 8.3, and Monterey 12.1. All the platforms were updated this week. Not a ton of new features, but some key ones that I think are very interesting. The first one is the legacy contacts feature, which if you haven't heard is you can actually designate individual contacts on your iPhone. I presume you could do it on your iPad as well, but these contacts can access your iCloud data if you give them this permission in the settings of your iPhone, and they can access your iCloud data if you were to die in the future, hopefully. But you could set it up. I actually did it with my wife. I went into the settings. It's a little weird to find it. You go to settings on your iPhone. You go to your, you hit your name at the top with all your iCloud settings, and then you go to password and security when you're looking at your Apple ID there. And if you scroll down, you'll see legacy contact is an option. You can add multiple. You don't just uh, have to add one. You can have multiple legacy contacts. And once you add them, it actually gives you the option to either send them a secret key via messages, or you can print it out. I actually opted to print out this like, QR code and it's this secret long key. And the instructions are that if someone were to pass away, someone else who has this key can go to a website and they put in the key and they have to have your death certificate actually in order to access it. You need both things, the secret key from Apple and a death certificate, and then they can access your photos, your messages, things in iCloud. Interestingly, they can't get to your iCloud keychain, so they actually can't see your login and password through this legacy information program, but uh, they can see a lot of the other iCloud data. Photos specifically is probably what people want to make sure they can retain. So I don't know, do you have any other details on that or thoughts on that? It's better than nothing for sure. It's one of those things where it looks good on paper, but if you, I'm sure, you know, everyone's been through the process of losing a loved one and it's tough. Yeah. If you want to get into that phone, you want to get to messages or photos or whatever, uh, usually not weeks later, but if you've ever tried to get a death certificate, it can take a long time sometimes, especially if there's any reason for, you know, post postmortem type stuff to get taken care of. And it's just, it's a long harrowing process. And then on top of that, you have to contact Apple support and talk to somebody. And it just doesn't sound like fun. I, I wish Apple could make this a little bit more automated, hmm. maybe have some other proof without having to wait on something like a government form, because Lord knows that takes forever, no matter what you're doing. Right? No, it's, it's just, it's an interesting feature. I'm, I'm going to see about setting it up for my family members just because it's there might as well i guess that that would be a smart thing to print off and put in your will or something i don't know yeah and i plan to put it in a safe you know kind of thing and then you know if you want to scan it and save the pdf in the cloud too you know you have to be careful with security stuff but considering you also need a death certificate to access this stuff you know it's not just like a 
one password and then somebody would have access to your stuff. So uh, I think it is a good feature. Also that came out in 15.2 is the app privacy report. You actually have to enable this if you if you want to see what apps are doing kind of in the background. You go to settings on your iPhone, go to privacy, scroll all the way down, and now you'll see app privacy report if you've updated to iOS 15.2. And here you can see data and sensor access. So you can see what apps have accessed different sensors and data on your iPhone. Another very interesting metric is the app network activity. And like I have Instagram here, and if I tap that, you could see all the URLs that the app is calling while you're using it and presumably in the background as well. And of course, Instagram owned by Meta, formerly Facebook, and it's just seeing all the URLs that they are like contacting for ads and for content delivery networks and just all the crazy URLs are accessing in the background. It's pretty wild. And, you know, Instagram, the Facebook app, those will probably be the most notorious. That's Instagram is the top app as far as most URLs accessed of all my apps. And that includes like TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so- this is kind of a like Apple's version of little snitch, right? It's just basically collecting just as much data as it can about every little network activity, whatever it's doing. Someone was commenting on Reddit, like why is Apple accessing my contacts when I go to the app store, you know, and why can't I turn that off? It's, it's cool that, you know, you get all this data for everyone, including Apple apps. So good on them. But I think this feature is actually there for a couple of versions of iOS 13. It's just before it would pop out this unreadable text file. And like there were developers creating apps meant for parsing that data and giving you something readable. But this is now actually human readable once it's finished collecting data and gives you something that you can actually use or look through. So I haven't tried it yet. Not too worried, but I guess it would be interesting to see what's going in and out, especially with content blockers and stuff. And maybe if you're a little tech savvy, you can use this information to uh, set up maybe a pie hole to block specific things that you don't want going in and out to maybe maybe see uh, how far you can go before you break Instagram. (laughs) That'd be an interesting experiment. You can also do that probably with a lot of wireless routers. I know on Eero and Linksys Velop, you can put specific URLs to say block this URL completely. And uh, you can do that. So the the process in Linksys, I, I remember Eero being a little bit simpler, but the process in Linksys for some reason still feels very clunky for doing that. But it, it is possible. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, it is not simple, but but you can do it. Linksys, if you're listening, where is HomeKit Secure Route? Like, oh, where is don't it? even get me started. What year is it? We talked what? the Linksys Velop. I think it was their VP was actually on the HomeKit Insider podcast and said HomeKit was coming. It's come to some of the lineup of the Linksys Velop routers, but their top of the line one, the MX5300 that I have, is still doesn't have HomeKit. I mean, it's Wi-Fi 6. It's like, was their top of the line one pretty until pretty recently, I think might still be. So yeah, Linksys. Come yeah, on. I don't, want, I don't want to use Amazon. I don't want to use Netgear. I mean, come on, Linksys. Like, where, where are we at? Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Also in 15.2, this is very welcome. There's now a macro toggle that you can enable settings. You can go to camera and the macro toggle is now is, you know, when it's set as default, your iPhone camera app, as you get close to an object, it'll switch into macro mode, but you don't really have control over it. And sometimes it can be a little jarring if it's like right in that, is it macro? Is it normal distance? And so if you turn on the macro toggle, You can get close to an object and you'll see this little flower icon appear in the bottom left or bottom right, depending on how you orient your phone. And you can enable macro mode. And so the iPhone will then switch to the ultra wide camera, focus closely, and you can take a macro shot. Or you can disable 
that flower icon, disabling macro mode, and then it won't automatically switch to that, you know, autofocus close-up mode. So I think it's a welcome toggle and should cut down on some of that, you know, weirdness. I was kind of expecting this to just show up in the app, but you actually have to go turn it on in settings. I, I didn't realize that. You do. You know? Yeah, you do. But yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a welcome feature because, I don't know, I take a lot of pictures of just random stuff, uh, sometimes my cats or something, and I like that wide-angle lens, the, the standard lens. It takes good photos, but within the range of focus of the wide-angle lens, you're still in focus. It switches over to macro if you're close to an object, and it's right. a little too sensitive. Maybe Apple could work on that, but yeah, having that toggle there, just it, it's definitely kind of a game-changer in that respect. It's like, I want to take a macro photo, do it now kind of thing, and that's much better. Yeah, exactly. Also with these updates, the Apple Music voice plan is now available. That's the $4.99 tier for Apple Music where you can't thumb or finger through the Apple Music library or choose specific albums and artists, but you can ask Siri. And it's specifically so you can ask Siri to play music and you can access supposedly the entire Apple Music library via that. But it is $4.99, so cheaper than the normal $9.99 per month for a single user. I'm curious if any of our listeners out there, maybe you've wanted a HomePod, but you don't have any other Apple devices. If you're going to use the Apple Music voice plan, you know, is anyone out there going to be doing just the $4.99 a month? Or maybe just because you normally access music via Siri and you can save $5 a month, you'll just do it that way. I'd be curious who out there is going to do it. It's just a very odd plan because in a world where Apple Music was the only streaming service, maybe this would make sense because you wouldn't have any other option. But there are... A multitude of options from like even just getting free Spotify with ads, uh, which is what I'm assuming most people do if they're if they want the cheap or I don't care option. It's just get Spotify or even Pandora still exists somehow. A- Apple Music Voice being five dollars is just you. It's it's such a specific category. Those are five people on the planet who need this. It's I I like Apple. I like Apple Music. I use this. But I don't want to catalog anything I listen to. I don't want access to any playlists. I don't want anything. And I have to know all the secret codes to get Siri to play the things I want. It's just very odd to me. I, I mean, I don't think Apple's ever going to tell us anything about it. Maybe maybe during an earnings call sometime, Tim, Tim Cook will just be like, yeah, hundreds of people signed up for this plan. I, I don't know. It's just very weird. Listeners, tell us if there's more than five of you out there using the Apple Music voice plan. <laughs> Tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in show notes. Mention us both. And uh, then we can see, is it more than five? I also wanted to mention with iOS 15.2, my oldest son, we had gotten him a pair of AirPods 3, the new AirPods generation. And he's been using them with his iPad, which is a older model iPad. I think it's like seventh gen. And he was using older versions of iPods and other, he had like a Beats Flex headphones. He's been using them with his iPad. He also has an Apple Watch SE. He uses the headphones with that. And they were working fine until the last week or so. All of a sudden, the AirPods 3 started disconnecting and he had to forget the device every time he wanted to connect it back to the iPad. I I wonder if it was when the firmware was updated on the AirPods, but the iPad had not been updated yet. And so kept disconnecting. He was wondering like, do we, you know, how do we, how do we fix this? And so I actually did a Apple support text conversation. They said, update the iPad to 15.2, which he had zero free storage on his iPad. And so I had to spend like 20 minutes figuring out what to delete and all that. I regret getting the 32 gigabyte model back then, but hindsight. Figured out how to update his iPad, updated it to 15.2. And then all of a sudden, the AirPods 3 worked flawlessly again. They've been connecting. It's been no issue. So I would just say, if any of you out there 
are having issues with your AirPods connecting to an iPhone or an iPad and you haven't updated to 15.2 yet, I would recommend you do because for some reason it fixed my son's, uh, you know, connecting, disconnecting issue. He even heard some static periodically and all of that has been fixed with 15.2. So I think there's a lot of bug fixes underneath the hood and, you know, that might not be totally specified in the update notes, but a lot of cool things. You can also do share play now on the Mac with Monterey 12.1. So I recommend doing that. And also watchOS 8.3, I think has fixed some of the charging issues that I talked about on some past weeks here on the show. So yeah, update all the things. It's a good update. Notably, the feature that did not come in these updates and is not coming until spring 2022 is universal control. This was showed off at WWDC where users, if you have a iPad and a Mac, you can move the mouse or trackpad from one screen to the other seamlessly from one device to the other, even dragging things from one device to the other kind of across the air. And so universal control is not coming until spring next year. I imagine, you know, rather put it out solidly than put out a bunch of bugs because once this comes out, you know, there's going to be tons of videos about it. It'll be lots of coverage in the news. So they're just probably waiting until all bugs are gone. So, you know, it wish we could have gotten it this fall, but better get it when it's like solid than super buggy. Yeah. Apple wants people to use it. And the worst thing you can do is release buggy software and then people never want to use it again, even if it gets fixed. Right. I'm very excited for this feature. Uh, Apple says spring now, right? So yeah, eh, April, as long as they release it the week before WWDC, they've hit their deadline, I guess. But um, <laughs> right. it's just one of those things. I definitely having a Mac and two iPads in the room. This is a useful feature for me. I mean, I can reach up and touch the screens or whatever. And I do use the Apple Pencil and the iPad Pro and whatnot. Like I have these alternate interaction paradigms but if i'm if my hands are on the keys and on the trackpad and i just want to manipulate some text or lately what i've been doing is uh i i have a very specific text workflow uh through ia writer and i don't have the mac version i'm, I'm probably going to buy it soon but try not to invest in too much software on on this computer i may or may not keep right we'll take text copy it on the mac paste it on the ipad but i'm doing that on two different devices uh pasting with the touch screen tapping and selecting text so it's fine but I, I can already just see how I would use a universal control and I, I'm definitely excited to try it out. Yeah, for sure. All right, also that came out this week is Swift Playgrounds 4 for iPad. And this is a notable update because as Apple talked about at WWDC back in June, that users can now build apps for iPhone and iPad on iPad with Swift Playgrounds 4 and even distribute it to the App Store right from the iPad. So you actually don't need a Mac to submit an app to the App Store Connect. You can do it right from the iPad. And it integrates, there's a new app preview mode where users and developers can see live updates they're making to an app while they're working on it on the iPad. There's project-wide search, and you can even move a project from Swift Playgrounds to Xcode. And you can go presumably back and forth. It says you can move projects between it. But I imagine if you build it out in Xcode with features not yet available in Swift Playgrounds, those would not carry back over. So this is very cool. Everyone, you know, not only are we wondering about Final Cut and Logic for iPad and those powerful Apple applications, but being able to develop on iPad for iPad and iPhone, it's a pretty big step. And so it's out there for free right now. You can download Swift Playgrounds for this is a really interesting app for multiple reasons. Uh, everyone wants Xcode on the iPad and maybe it'll still come, but um, looking at this, I'm starting to think it won't. Um, we're just going to just see 
playgrounds slowly evolve they might change the name because again i think the the swift playgrounds nomenclature just comes from it being kind of a, a game for kids to learn how to code and now it's this entire development studio so um apple might just come out and be like yeah we're calling it something else now uh maybe a catchy xcode variant but multiple things this can do that xcode cannot like displaying multiple languages within the app you can change the language to uh, various other languages and you cannot do that in Xcode and you also get autocomplete options for certain code variables Xcode doesn't do that so this is definitely mm. a very powerful tool for especially for beginners uh, trying to learn because you get in there and you start coding and you forget what you're going to put in there and it's it gives you options uh, it's, which is pretty cool I'm I'm cool. wondering about the limitations though because uh, yes Swift playgrounds so I'm, I'm assuming I, I don't know i haven't looked into it too much you're only able to work with swift and uh swift ui and all of that stuff right i would really like to see you know some of those uh emulator guys out there who work on uh delta for ios and stuff where you can get game boys and gamecube games and stuff running to go in here and right. maybe see if they can tweak their code and get it to run in swift playgrounds because if i could get their code from github and execute it on swift playgrounds and and, and build an app for the ipad that would be pretty cool but i don't think you're allowed to do cool. that i think as far i think you can submit apps to apple i don't think you'll actually be able to run test versions but again i haven't really dug into this too much yet yeah I'm waiting to see, you know, someone, some developer or someone on Twitter say, hey, here's an app built completely on iPad. I, you know, I'm going to try and tinker around with it. As Stephen Trotton Smith, I think, was tweeting, you know, you could even do it on an iPad mini. You know, and he said like the text size and layout options you have to move stuff around in the app makes it able to you can build on an ipad mini and make an ios app so that's pretty cool i expect it's a race we could see something in a couple of weeks i don't know how far apple's end of this deal is ready if you could just submit an app today i don't know um but very soon i would say for, especially from the main guys maybe the peacock guy I've, what james thompson yeah, I, yeah. He, he's probably going to be out the gate with something who knows but we'll see I'm, I'm definitely excited for the development yeah it is very cool all right, well, this next app is actually one that came out for Android. It's called Tracker Detect, and Android users can now download this free app. It's from Apple, and it basically gives Android users the ability to go in the app, tap a button, and scan their immediate vicinity for trackers, namely AirTag, that might be around them. And so this is a feature that on iPhone, if you have an AirTag that's been quote-unquote following you or an AirTag that doesn't belong to you, your iPhone will let you know, like, hey, this AirTag has been following you around for a while. This happens to me fairly often. Like if I drive my wife's car for some reason, she has an AirTag on her keys. After a little while, I'll get notifications on my iPhone that says, hey, uh, so-and-so's AirTag has been following you or this AirTag has been following you around. Do you intend for that? So you won't get those automated notifications on the Android app, but you can go in and scan it to give Android users like peace of mind to say if they feel like there might be an AirTag somewhere. I'm not sure what kind of premonition you would need to have to think to scan for this thing or if it's just a you know a measure you want to do regularly. I'm not sure. But Android users can now use this app to scan for AirTags that might be around themselves. This is one of those things where um, I remember we had a post about a TikTok that went viral of a woman who, well, let's just say it appears that she found an air tag on her vehicle. It looked a little staged, but uh, we won't get into it. Right. But um, yeah, it did, it's it did. like, yeah, this happens. People, people are not great. It's a $30, $40 uh, device you can buy. So it's relatively cheap and... But this has been going on forever. Apple didn't invent stalking. Um, <laughs> no, Wes Hilliard. 
Apple didn't invent stalking. Yeah, so this this app is a, a peace of mind device, um, and I understand completely. Like, it needs to exist, absolutely. I wish it w- did have a little bit more of the forewarning kind of thing, but I think it would have to access systems Google isn't going to give Apple access to, just like, you know, so it's it's kind of a first time for Apple running into someone else's guidelines, I guess. Right. In this case, it, it makes sense, and it's all trackers on Find My, not just AirTag. So if you have right. if you have those other... You have the Chipolo and the, the bikes. The bikes. Whatever those bikes that have it, yeah. It'll work with all that. Yeah, it, it, it works with this app, so that's, that's pretty cool. Well, this is super quick, but Disney Plus, the streaming app, added SharePlay in an update earlier this week, which is pretty cool. You know, of all the streaming services, you know, they had Paramount Plus and TikTok. You, you had SharePlay before this, but Disney Plus is pr- so ubiquitous. I mean, so many people have Disney Plus. It has Star Wars and Marvel and all that. So now you can use the Disney Plus app on your iPhone, your iPad, do it on the Apple TV, and you can stream a movie and FaceTime with people and it can stream and sync. And so I'm very curious if now it SharePlay will get a little more traction with this kind of service, especially with, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home is coming out this weekend. And so people are probably watching Marvel movies and there's the, the Book of Boba Fett series coming out on Disney Plus. So if you use SharePlay or if you have used it, I'd be curious your experience. I've yet to try it. I'm very curious to do it. Have you had any experience with SharePlay yet? I haven't had any reason to use it yet. Something I want to check out. I I believe this is going to be pretty cool for certain things. Maybe gaming will start stepping into it. I think that might be fun, especially like multiplayer and stuff. But still still early days. Uh, I'll wait and see. See what what comes up. I will say if you have to help others with like tech support on their iPhone or iPad, maybe it's family, friends, maybe even coworkers. I was actually helping someone the other day. They were running iOS 15 as am I, and they needed help setting up their Eros. They were setting up some Eero wireless routers and I wanted to be able to see what their iPhone screen was saying. And so I FaceTimed them and one of the new features in iOS 15 is you can actually share your iPhone screen with someone else while you're FaceTiming. So there's a little, uh, you tap the screen and the controls come down from the bottom during a FaceTime call. And you'll see this little icon. It looks like a silhouette with a rectangle. And that is the share screen option. And so they actually tapped that uh, icon and they were actually sharing their screen with me. I could see their iPhone screen on my iPhone. I was doing it from my iPhone and I was able to kind of walk them through the app, telling them what to tap. And I could see what they see. So you don't have to do that weird pointing your screen at the camera of your iPad or something. You can just share the screen on your iPhone and your iPad. You can do that now. And if you didn't know, I'll put this link in the show notes, but you can actually been able to do this on the Mac for a while using the messages app. If you're texting someone and they're on their Mac, you're in messages, you both have iCloud accounts. There's actually a share screen option. If you click the little I icon next to the contact name in the messages conversation, and you can request to share screen or you can know where the other user can share their screen or you can share your screen with someone else. And I've done it multiple times, even where you can control the other person's Mac. So if they give you permission, you can actually control. And there's no link, there's no website to go to. It all happens in the Messages app. I actually have a YouTube video explaining the whole process and showing you how to do it. And so if you're interested, I'll put that video in show notes and you can see how to share and control screens using just Messages on your Mac. So that's pretty cool. So SharePlay, you know what you could do? You could get William to join you on SharePlay and show him the Ted Lasso Find My Mustache Christmas special uh, that yes. just aired yesterday. Did you watch that? My goodness. No, I did not. Is it, it good? Was, I was distracted mostly because the voice actors obviously don't do voice work and the, oh, the I animators, I think... 
I'm not sure what which happened first in this case, chicken or the egg. Like, did they try to to voice match pre-made models moving their mouths? That wouldn't make sense. They probably animated the mouths to the voices, but still, it wasn't it wasn't matched great. Uh, and the the story was kind of uh, it was silly. It was cute. Uh, I mean, I think Ted Lasso fans are going to be into it. I'm a Ted Lasso fan. I was eh, it was it was okay. I, it's just one of those like why is this five minutes? You know, I could have done with a you know twenty twenty five minute Charlie Brown style kind of special, but this felt more like a commercial. Yeah, that's just one of those things. Uh, uh, and it's set like ambiguously in the Ted Lasso universe, so that some of the characters aren't quite where they were at the end of the season. So it's just like cool, <laughs> very yeah. awkward. Yeah. No, I need I need to tell William that I want to share play some other thing that he really likes. Listeners, uh, help me remember. I don't know exactly what he likes. I think he liked Little Voice, or yeah. maybe it's that new movie, uh, Swan Song. I'm actually very curious about that Swan Song movie. That's an Apple TV Plus original film that comes out this weekend. I feel like they're giving us very little detail on purpose because even the trailers suggest very little it's he's sick maybe there, it's a clone situation it's sci-fi it looks like it'll be interesting like right you know you have this opportunity to change science forever or something it's like i don't know i don't understand what's happening here but i'm sure someone's maybe read a book or something but i i guess i think they're just being amb- ambiguous on purpose but i'm definitely going to be watching that when it comes out yeah me too but i'm gonna tell him we'll watch that and then when William's on the share play, I'll switch it over to Ted Lasso <laughs> and I'll, I'll time down. I'll ask his wife to time down and watch the whole first season so he'll finally see it. Oh, Lord. That's the only way it's going to happen. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Headspace. The holiday season can be difficult for many. Maybe the Omicron variant is kind of spinning in your mind or you're thinking about stuff you're doing with family, friends, getting ready for parties. Just so much going on can be easy to get stressed and overwhelmed. Well, if you can take just a few minutes every day, you can take charge of your relationship with stress and anxiety. That's the power of meditation with Headspace. Our thoughts can be confusing enough, but meditation doesn't have to be confusing or complicated. Headspace is your convenient dose of mindfulness and meditation and even sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep. And it's all in one easy to use and might I add beautifully designed app makes it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. I've actually used Headspace personally for several years now, and taking just those few minutes every morning can really change your life. And I don't think that's an exaggeration, especially if you get overwhelmed with work and maybe your to-do list is so long that you begin to feel anxious. Taking those few minutes a day can really make a difference. I love the new soundscapes they have for focus and relaxation. They have one with Hans Zimmer. like He actually put together this thing that you can listen to for focus. I really like that. I've done their fear of flying sessions before, which has helped me when I travel. And they have sessions on anxiety that has really helped me and my kids. I do sessions with my kids. They have specially designed ones for that. I love everything about Headspace. So find some Headspace yourself at headspace.com slash Apple Insider and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available right now. So go to headspace.com slash Apple Insider today. That's headspace.com slash Apple Insider. That link will be in the episode description. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode and our friends at VPLS. VPLS is a managed service provider and managed security provider with a 20-year history of industry-leading customer service. VPLS's network and security operations centers can be an additional resource for your IT team or function as an outsourced IT department. They offer help desk, managed security, managed backup, and other managed IT services. So listen, whether you own a business, it's a small business, or maybe you work in a large organization, but you need 
help with your information technology. That's where VPLS can step in and they can either support your current team or be your complete IT solution. VPLS operates 24-7, 365, providing after-hour support for your team, and they offer managed backup services to their geographically diverse colocation locations. They can handle the IT needs for large and growing companies, or maybe you just need to consult with an outside company about a specific issue you're having, they can help. They're a one-stop shop for backup and disaster recovery, managed help desk and IT support, cloud migration, and more. So visit vpls.com slash goit to see all of their offers, including low monthly collocation rates for all new customers. That's vpls.com slash goit, G-O-I-T, vpls.com slash goit. Our thanks to VPLS for sponsoring this episode. Well, there's been some new rumors about displays that LG is working on. This is leaker Dylan DKT on Twitter, who has had some accurate leaks in the past. He is claiming that LG is working on three monitors that could be, I mean, this sounds like a pipe dream, but three different monitors that will eventually become Apple's monitor lineup. Dylan DKT says that LG is working on a 24-inch and 27-inch display matching the screen sizes for the iMacs. The current M1 iMac is 24 inches. You know, we're unsure of what the inches will be on the larger iMac coming out next year. And then he says there is a successor to the Pro Display XDR, the 32-inch 6K monitor that might feature the ProMotion 120 hertz display and just an upgraded panel as well. I mean, this is what people have been asking for for years. Apple, just take the screens that are in your iMacs make them standalone monitors and sell those and you will sell thousands if not millions of them. And so because that has been everyone's dream and it has never happened, I'm like not sure, (laughs) I don't have a supreme confidence that this is going to be it. I mean, this could just as easily be LG launching two new ultra fine displays plus the Pro Display XDR successor, which makes sense if Apple announces the next Mac Pro, the Apple Silicon Mac Pro, that they also launch a Pro Display XDR Generation 2 at the same time. So that one makes sense as far as an Apple branded monitor. But I don't know about the 24 and 27 inch, West. You think this is uh, Apple monitors coming out? Hard to say. The 27 inch is what throws me off because I don't see Apple coming out with the new iMac at 27 inches. Um, because I mean, yes, 27 is bigger than 24 and it is noticeably bigger in person, but I feel like Apple would take this opportunity to at least push it up to 30 and then to release a monitor right. at a different screen size. Not it, it, it just raises more questions than it gives answers. And LG is a big display company. They make a lot of monitors. Ultrafine is not just Apple's monitors. It is a entire line of monitors at LG. So this could just be, you know, more ultrafine monitors. It could be renewed versions of the old ones, sure, which would make sense, but maybe not. They, they don't have to have the Apple tagline to be ultrafine. So right. I would really like, even if, you know what, you know, even if it's not an Apple monitor, it would be great because the ultrafine for Apple that they made a few years ago are the only ultrafine monitors that are directly built to interface with True Tone and all of that stuff. I think the other ones have Thunderbolt connections, but it's not quite as robust. Uh, I may be mistaken, right? but seeing some more direct for Mac LG monitors would be better than nothing. But if these are one of those Apple partnerships, that would be even better. It would be. Yeah, I'd be curious if they would go back to with the old cinema displays, if you had gotten one of those, there was like this braided tail that came out and it actually had MagSafe connector to charge your laptop plus a Thunderbolt 2 connector. And it was made so you can dock your laptop 
plug in MagSafe, plug in Thunderbolt, and those cables were just coming out of the monitor. It just It's just a curious thing because when you think about it, Apple has a 24-inch iMac starting at $1,300 with a beautiful display. Right. How much would this monitor be? $700? I mean, $900? How close <laughs> can it get to that iMac before you just might as well throw a computer in with it? It's very questionable. Um, I mean, yeah, the 21 and a half inch, well, did they release a 24-inch uh, Ultrafine? Is that right or was it always 21 the the lg the 4k ultra fine is actually what i have it's a 23.7 inch so basically 24 inch monitor yeah yeah come come out with that 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 one's 899 or something like that brand new um and then like the larger one is uh like so i'm looking at it right now just so we know so the lg ultra fine 4k is 700 dollars brand new and the lg Ultrafine 5K, which has the webcam built into it, is thirteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and that's that's an iMac, uh, and pretty a pretty good one. Right. So I just wonder. Uh, yes, you can't use an iMac as a display without some hacky workarounds, but I just wonder what the price target is here. I know there are people out there who will pay iMac prices for monitors, but me personally, I would almost just rather have the iMac than have just a, a dumb monitor. These things are beautiful, but. I guess maybe I'm not the the creative person it's going to be targeted at. These guys, you know, P3 color displays and accurate and all of that. It's right. going to be professional grade photography, videography, stuff like that, which would make a lot of sense to throw some money at. But Apple, yeah. I would prefer Apple just come out with some monitors. Like, don't do LG. Don't None of this nonsense. <laughs> just put an Apple logo on it. Sell it for a bunch of money. It'd be great. Yeah. The LG Ultrafine 4K was actually updated. There's like a second gen of it. I think the 5K has been the same for years. The 4K actually has two Thunderbolt ports and three USB-C, so it has five total ports. That's the smaller 4K version. The 5K version only has one Thunderbolt port and three USB-C. So there's this weird disparity between the sizes. The 5K never got touched because I, I I remember now, because the one I have, I believe, is the 21 and a half inch that was originally released. Okay. Because uh, I have that in my other room with a Mac Mini from 100 years ago attached to it. Monitor, yeah, it only has the one Thunderbolt and a couple of USB-C in the back, which was great because, again, I think it's the only LG monitor, at least that I've interacted with, that has the ability to act as a hub monitor and have all these Apple-specific properties. And then, of course, right. the other one's built specifically for Mac. It's just too small a market. I don't understand why other manufacturers haven't even done this yet. Like the monitor I use at my desk now is an LG Ultra Gear gaming focused (laughs) monitor and I'm connected through DisplayPort to USB. Like it's terrible because the HDMI (laughs) connection is awful. Uh, The only way I can get 4K at 60 Hertz is through the the DisplayPort. There's no Thunderbolt connection here and they don't even offer a Thunderbolt version of this monitor or I would have gotten that. So and this is the only monitor I could find at this size, not $1,500, that had proper resolution and P3 color gamut. And the HDR still sucks. Like, it's... Right. <laughs> I don't I don't understand why monitors are like this. Yeah, I, I mean, I do hope. I hope Apple makes their own monitors that are not just the Pro Display XDR. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's beautiful. You know, I hear people buying these monitors more and more. Like, I think Sam Cole from Genius Bar, like, he got... He just got a Pro Display XDR. And everyone who has them says they're amazing. You know, Syracuse and Marco Arman from ATP have them. And they, there's been a whole saga of the Accidental Tech Podcast guys. Casey List is trying to get a monitor. He tried the Ultrafine and then it broke. So it's just a mess. I, I just wish Apple had multiple options and one that was not $6,000. Like if there was one even priced more than an iMac, but has Apple's branding, has ports that 
you actually want and really looks like an Apple product, I would pay a premium for it, even if it's more than an iMac. I would not pay like $3,000 and up. Like I just would not, like I would want to just buy an iMac at that point. I would not spend that much on just a monitor. $2,000 is the magic number. Yes. Like, even if it's a 27 inch at like 1600, I would hate it, but I could, I could swallow that. But once you get into that 2199 range, then you're talking about an entire MacBook pro. <laughs> yeah. It's and one, you know, crazy. one of the reasons I have heard that face ID did not come to the new MacBook pro models, which was hoping it did, but it was because the screen and the lid on the new MacBook Pro is so thin, so shallow, that there's not enough, enough depth to put the Face ID hardware, where if you hold like your iPhone or even an iPad Pro up to just the lid on the new MacBook Pro, like they are thicker. And so there's more depth to put that stuff. But if Apple did make a 27-inch monitor and the Pro Display second generation, and it would obviously be thicker put face ID in one of those monitors and boom, like you basically have a reason to pay a premium for that $2,000. I would, I would probably get it. I'd be sold. Steven, let me go ahead and kill your dreams. Um, Apple has said specifically that they, this is, this is a dumb Apple excuse because in, in two or five years they'll say, and face ID is amazing on the Mac, but right now they're just saying, no, touch ID is amazing because your hands are already on the keys where touch ID is. What's more convenient than that? And it's like, what about a thing that just sees me and I do nothing and it unlocks my Mac for me? How about that? <laughs> I, I know like anyone who's used face ID, especially on like iPad pro, if you have an iPad pro with a, with the magic keyboard case, face ID is incredible. Like yeah, my hands are already on the keyboard, but I don't even have to move the hands. Like Face ID just activates. And I use my MacBook Pro in clamshell mode all the time with a monitor. And I've resisted buying a Magic Keyboard with Touch ID separately just to use it. But I've thought about it. Like, yes, your Apple Watch can unlock it. But for things like Apple Pay to unlock apps like 1Password, you know, sometimes it asks the watch, like double click on the watch. And sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't. But when I have my laptop open, Touch ID is solid. If I had Face ID, I wouldn't even have to do anything. Like one password would just unlock. Apple Pay would be quick, you know, unlocking the Mac from a startup. So I don't know. I, I'm holding that one day Face ID on the Mac. I'm hoping. Give it a couple of years. I, it's just. Yeah, a few years. It's not even the thinnest thing at this point because they could have probably found some way to use periscoping or something to fit the sensors in but or some better some different kind of sensors. It's just I think Apple's happy with Face ID on iOS or maybe even it could be some issues with Mac OS, who knows, but, and then touch ID on uh, Macs. And the keyboard thing is killing me because I, I like my mechanical keyboards. I use Keychrons and having an entirely separate keyboard just to touch my finger to, no. Some company, if they could figure out how to reverse engineer and hack the system and just release a touch ID button, that would be great. I know Apple would never yeah. allow it in a million years, but <laughs> no, that no. would be just like a little button sitting on the corner of my desk. I could just tap. That would be awesome. Yeah. Or you'd be like Mike Hurley and like tape or like duct tape a magic keyboard with touch ID on the bottom side of your desk and just reach under there for touch ID when you need it. But those things are like $120, aren't they? That's uh, yeah. I think they're a hundred and 50 actually because i was looking at it the other day because i thought about it and i was like do i want this and i was like no i don't want to pay 150 dollars. let me see magic keyboard with touch id searching the apple store 149 dollars. Oh, no no thank you <laughs> yeah not 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 doing it not doing it and you can't get the colors yet you know the imac you get the color matched keyboard and mouse with it and you can't get any colors if you want to buy the keyboard separately it's still just the silver one so meh on that no thanks 
So some quick COVID updates. Apple actually has reinstated mask requirements back in their retail stores. So if you go to an Apple retail store, you will be required to wear a mask. I actually, the Apple Brandon store that I go to here in Florida, they've had the mask requirement still active for a while now. Like I've seen Apple employees and the like security people go up to people without a mask and like hand them a paper one and say, you have to wear this. So mask requirement is back across all their retail stores. They actually had to close three retail locations, one in Bricknell City Center in Miami, Annapolis, Maryland, and Ottawa, Canada. Those three stores closed due to spikes in COVID in the area. You know, all of that is unfortunate, but what I think is even more interesting is there was a memo that Tim Cook sent Apple employees that the return to office, you know, Apple's been pushing that there was going to be a return to office, that employees had to come back physically into the office. And in a memo, he said that it is yet to be determined what date that is. So it's now been delayed indefinitely until Apple says otherwise, and they will not require employees to come back in person again because of the COVID, Omicron variant, and all of that. And not only that, but Apple is giving employees an additional $1,000 to purchase at-home equipment if they need something for their home office as they work from home. I think this is very interesting because I also follow multiple Apple developers and Apple employees on Twitter. There's a lot of them on Twitter. If you didn't know, like you can find them on there. And some of them are pretty vocal about the returning to office. Many of their positions don't really require in-person anything, whether they're working like developing accessibility or Apple Arcade stuff. And so they really do not want to go back into the office and some of them even leaving or thought about leaving because of it. But now it is yet to be determined if they will even have to return to the office. So we'll see. But I just thought that was a whole interesting story. Steven, if you spent $4.17 billion on the world's largest office building, how would you feel if about five people were in it right now? Just... (laughs) No, I know. I know. And, you know, they actually ironically did that huge article. We talked about it last week in Wallpaper Magazine showing the beautiful rooms and conference rooms and just the amazing building that is there for sure. Like you want people there, but I just wonder if it's specific teams that should be required to be there or just blanket all employees. You know, if you have employees that go into the office, sit in like a desk facing a wall for 99% of their work day, does that person need to be in the office? You know, I don't know. And I don't have a lot of information about all the, you know, obviously Apple employees, literally tens of thousands of people. So I don't know all the positions, obviously some like design, hardware design, hardware development, R&D. Yeah, you have to be in person for all that kind of stuff. I do think this means that there's definitely not going to be any in-person events in the spring. I think if there's any events in the spring, product announcements, hardware, Probably not, probably not WWDC 2022 either. That'll probably be virtual again. You know, if they have a yet to be determined, come back to the office date. What do you think? I don't believe there's going to be in-person events uh, anytime soon. Maybe 2025, maybe the Apple car event will have uh, people show up to drive the car. <laughs> sure. Maybe the Apple glass. They'll have... Elon Musk will show up and like uh, break a window. This COVID stuff, no one obviously knew how long this was going to take. I remember people saying, oh yeah, Memorial Day, we'll be fine. Yeah. It, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. it's definitely one of those where I swear it's it's 
it's perfect timing every single time. Kinsenia, the guy from uh, CNBC, I, he showed up my timeline saying something like, uh, COVID is now classified as an endemic. And then like 15 minutes later, Omicron variant forces Apple to close three stores and uh, locations across uh. Texas and California. I'm like, guys, can we just figure this out? <laughs> yeah. It's insanity. But I understand where this is going. I It's influenza-like virus that just pops up cyclically and something we have to deal with and just move on with our lives. And I, I once we get to that point, maybe two years from now or something, um, Apple, I, I believe, would want to go back to in-person events because, again, they spent like $4 billion on this beautiful campus and they want people to come there. They want people to go to the Steve Jobs Theater. Oh, yeah. They love the showmanship. And I've heard people speculate like, oh, is, is this going away? Is Apple just going to give up and let everyone work from home forever? And uh, that's the future of economy. It's like, no, <laughs> I understand working from home. I do it myself. But there are certain things that benefit from in-person interaction, even of events are completely different because of in-person events that's where networking happens that's where people get to meet each other i understand it's not as important as it used to be because the internet connects us in ways that was just impossible a decade ago but getting to the point now where uh, we have to realize that human interaction is still important we can't replace everything with computers this episode is brought to you by our friends at wealthfront if you want to invest for the long term it helps to invest on your terms Maybe you're pro-solar, or maybe you want to be into crypto or the technology part of the market. Whoever you are, you should invest in what you believe in. And that's what makes Wealthfront so great. You actually go to Wealthfront.com slash Apple Insider, take a brief quiz, and after answering just a few questions, Wealthfront will build you a diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds in minutes. You can build your own portfolio with clean energy funds, crypto trusts, tech, and hundreds of other investments. They even have a socially responsible portfolio, which is a mix of funds built around human rights, climate change, sustainability, and diversity. Best of all, Wealthfront is totally automated. They do all the trading, rebalancing, even help you lower your tax bill while you invest. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And I personally use Wealthfront as well. It's so easy to create an account and their app for iPhone is beautiful. It's easy to get set up and monitor your investments. I really love what they're doing there. And you can get your first $5,000 managed for free for life by going to wealthfront.com slash Apple Insider. So start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life when you go to wealthfront.com dot com slash apple insider that's w-e-a-l-t-h-f-r-o-n-t dot com slash apple insider to start building your wealth that's wealthfront.com slash apple insider to get started today our thanks to wealthfront for sponsoring this episode and our great friends at masterclass with masterclass you can learn from the world's best minds anytime anywhere and at your own pace. You can learn about scientific thinking with Neil deGrasse Tyson or astronaut Chris Hadfield. You can learn about cooking from Gordon Ramsay and two of my favorite courses. You can learn about music composition for film from Hans Zimmer and the art of negotiation with Chris Voss. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, the thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Let me highly recommend that class with Chris Voss on negotiation. Whether you're a freelancer, you work with clients, or maybe you work in a big organization, but you need better communication tools when dealing with your boss. The Art of Negotiation class with Chris Voss is the one you should take. I've read his book, Never Split the Difference. I've heard his TED Talk. 
but his class on Masterclass is really top-notch. I love Masterclass because beautiful cinematography, they sound and look great, and you can watch it on any device. They have an app for iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, or you can just watch it on the web. Lessons are typically just 10 to 15 minutes, so you can do it on a lunch break, or you can binge an entire class in a few hours. There's downloadable content for things like cooking classes that are equal to a high-quality cookbook. And this holiday, you can give one annual membership and get one for free. This is a BOGO offer. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider today. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. Terms apply. You can find that link in our podcast description as well. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I also wanted to mention with all the iOS 15.2 updates that there were a couple child safety features that actually did launch the safety and messages feature for children iCloud accounts that are part of an iCloud family. You can actually turn on the child safety and messages feature that looks for explicit imagery that is either sent from or sent to children. You can update this by going to settings, screen time, Tap the individual child in your iCloud family account that has screen time set up. And there's a new communication safety option there. You can turn on this toggle that says check for sensitive photos. Now this will give the child a notification before an image is sent or before they view it if it's received about the appropriateness, but it does not send those notifications that Apple initially announced with all the child safety features back in August. There's also the child safety features in Siri that came out, but notably CSAM, which was the photo, I don't want to say scanning, but that's what everybody calls it now. Detection. The photo detection in iCloud photo library for that kind of sensitive content. It did not launch with these child safety features this week. And CSAM has actually been removed from Apple's website. And so there's no mention of it anymore in their child safety pages. Now The Verge actually talked to Apple And Apple claims that their plans are still to launch this feature sometime in the future, but it's just been taken off their website. Yeah, I want to break down a couple of things while we're here. Uh, The iMessage thing is interesting to me because, okay, yes, I understand that the concept that a parent could turn on a thing and get warned when their child's getting sent like explicit images would have been terrible. But now the feature is kind of on an island and... I'm wondering, okay, so the feature blurs out the image and warns the child. It, it, it makes sense to an extent because, yes, now the image at least is blurred. It gives the child the option to ignore it, delete it, uh, block the person, that kind of stuff. So it makes sense that it's given the kids a little bit more control over the situation, I suppose. Uh, but yeah. parents still having to manually toggle it seems odd. I, I honestly believe that now, especially that the parent thing is gone, that should just be on by default for anyone under the age of uh, 13 or whatever. I think that's the s- setting. Because once you're over 13, doesn't it go away or is it 18? I think it's over 13. It just, go- it just goes away at some point. I think so, yeah. Me as an adult, honestly, uh, and I'm sure plenty of women would like this too, would probably like this toggle to just exist yeah. in iMessage. Use the same machine learning algorithms to say, right. if I get an explicit image, blur it automatically. That could just yeah. save so much embarrassment. I mean, even if it's an image you want to receive, you don't always want to open the iMessage at a Walmart and have something just floating <laughs> right. in front of you, you know? Right. Or work. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, because sometimes sure. you just don't know what you're going to get. Especially if you have messages like on your Mac. Yeah. You know, because I get all my messages on my Mac. I respond if that's where I'm working. Like, that would be very awkward if someone's looking over my shoulder at work and that comes through. Yeah. It's like, stop. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I think it's an interesting feature. I'm sure Apple will tweak it as it goes out. Again, I just, I really hope that we get some more options as adults. For 
for this kind of stuff because I think it's it's really smart. Maybe a system wide setting that could detect this kind of stuff and like prevent it from showing up in Discord or anywhere. I just wanted to to look into this. <laughs> There's been so many fun conspiracy theories about the CSAM detection removal, the the language being removed from the website, and I think it really just comes down to the what Craig. Federighi got into uh, during one of his interviews saying that Apple kind of botched the initial announcement. People confused the two features. So now the child protection specifically for iMessage is a completely separate feature. They're no longer associating the two. So why have text about CSAM detection in that document? So that's gone. And if CSAM detection isn't anywhere near release, there isn't a document that exists. That's the only reason why this has disappeared from the site. Obviously, Apple says it's coming. People I've seen just said, yeah, not, there's no mention on the website now because they're just going to sneak it into an update. Look, it's that's not going to happen, guys. It's no, no, This no, is no. a very serious thing that they're doing. Uh, and Apple, Correct. again, I believe the only reason why they're doing this is to get ahead of law enforcement because there are not just in the United States, but other countries are pushing for direct enforcement of this kind of stuff from companies. And Apple Im implementing this on a personal device just it allows them to say, hey, we're doing everything we can and we're not violating the privacy of our users. Again, right. you can get into that debate as much as you want. I personally believe that Apple's implementation will be safe, but that's just, you know, from my understanding of reading the documentation. Anyway, yeah, I, I just wanted to, to bring up something while we were in this section. I had to yeah. update the, I'm sure you saw this going around Twitter for a couple of days this last week. I had to update our Roblox explainer um yes yeah because oh my gosh that platform uh apparently like predatory behavior is just going unchecked and yes like you look at this this company that's now apparently valuated the size of nintendo and they're allowed to basically run full-on like stock market and gambling type measures inside of an app where children can use real money to to participate and gain or lose thousands of dollars or develop these apps ecosystems and get hired by pseudo companies to help them develop apps. And it's just this whole thing happening in the open, completely, completely unregulated. And it's just insane to me that this is happening. And we're over here looking at Apple, like shame on you for uh, implementing these features. And it, it's just, I don't know, difference between coverage and technology is always wild to me. Yeah. And I would say my kids, maybe two years ago, wanted to try playing Roblox because they had friends doing it. And we allowed them to start playing it. And I kind of watched it for a while. I would watch them play it and see what it was about. And I even then saw very strange things, especially the public chat where people could send messages. And even if Roblox tried to hide like profanity, people get around doing it, whether it's using dollar signs, you know. Yeah, and they have this proximity audio feature where people can like play audio tracks through the game it's meant for music but people can just play whatever they want through it and so if you get close to a person yeah. you can hear dangerous them and like uh, my nephew who's five years old uh, plays this game not by my choice uh, sorry but he plays this game and like you'll hear like rap music with like heavy cussing lyrics like as he's walking around yes. the game and i'm just like what in the world and apparently the re the moderation system for this game is just completely broken they just the developers just do not seem to care I don't know. And I just see all of this chaos and, uh, and I'm reporting on it and I'm just like, what, how is this getting by? Yeah. I, and, and Roblox isn't even a quiet company. They're being yelled about on CNBC on a regular basis now because they're so big. They're earning billions of dollars from this development studios. Yeah. It's crazy. 
Yeah. And so needless to say, my kids don't play it anymore <laughs> because even then I saw weird stuff happening. And now because of the recent developments, I feel even better about that decision. So yeah, it's, it's wild stuff. All right. Well, we need to get to some Apple watch apps because a lot of people texted in, emailed me saying, yes, we want to hear about Apple watch apps. So I'm going to go through some of my favorites. You know, it's tough because Apple watch doesn't have a ton of apps and apps you know, can't do a lot on Apple Watch either. So some of my recommendations are companions to the iOS app that they use, but they're actually really useful on the watch. I also want to mention before I get into that, uh, John sent me an email talking about some other iPad apps that he recommended. He mentioned Sky Safari, which is like a constellation and star recognizer. I use Sky Guide, but Sky Safari is also an option. And he mentioned two apps for kind of interior design and decorating, which is Concepts, and an app just called Interior Design. So I'll put links to those apps in the show notes. But when it comes to Apple Watch apps, one of my favorite apps for the Apple Watch is Pocket Cast. It is my pocket it is my podcast player of choice for the iPhone, but I love the Apple Watch app cuz I've used Overcast, I've listened to podcasts using the Apple Podcasts app on Apple Watch, and I find the Pocket Cast Apple Watch app to be the best. I love because sometimes if I go for a walk and I just want to use my AirPods and Apple Watch, leave my iPhone at home, the Pocket Casts app on the Apple Watch lets you go between playing your iPhone and like controlling your iPhone Pocket Casts using the Apple Watch and going to the Apple Watch itself and the files saved on Apple Watch. And whichever you do, if I go for a walk and play something on Apple Watch, Pocket Cast does a great job of syncing. If I finish an episode, it'll remove it from my up next list on my iPhone from my Apple Watch, and I can skip around. You can even do the force haptic touch to pull up more options on the Apple Watch, and you can like skip chapters. You can go to next chapter, previous chapter, remove episodes from the up next list. So the Pocket Cast Apple Watch app is just incredible. So I love that. I love any list. My grocery shopping app, I use it on the iPhone, but also great on the watch. One of the best apps, especially if you want to get into complications, is WatchSmith from underscore David Smith. We talked about WidgetSmith for iPhone where you can build custom widgets there. Well, WatchSmith lets you build custom complications, even change those complications depending on time of day. Because I live in Florida and go to the beach sometimes, I actually have a whole watch face that shows the tides, that whether the tide is coming in or going out, and WatchSmith allows you to do that. So love WatchSmith, that's great. HomeCam is a great Apple Watch app where you can actually view some of your HomeKit cameras right on your Apple Watch. So very convenient, especially if you have a bunch of HomeKit devices. And the Home app has been improved actually in watchOS 8. So if you have some HomeKit devices, I would check that out. SleepWatch is what I use for sleep tracking. It's an iPhone app, but also on the Apple Watch. So that works great. This is an Apple app, but Shortcuts really allows the Apple Watch to become even more powerful. I think it was a couple watch OS's ago, you were able to run full shortcuts on your Apple Watch, including texting people. So I have a shortcut that's set up where it will calculate my travel time to home from wherever I am. It'll find my current location, what my travel time to home is in minutes, and send a text to my wife that says, be home in that amount of minutes. And I can do that all in the shortcuts app on my watch. I can even make that comp I can even make that one shortcut a complication on my watch face. So with one tap on the watch face, I can run that shortcut and it sends the text. I don't even need to touch my phone. So shortcuts is great. One password we've talked about throughout all these app highlight episodes 
But 1Password is cool because if you have two-factor authentication codes for some of your logins, the 1Password app can actually just show you that six-digit one-time password code, and you can quickly enter it right there looking at your watch. So that's pretty cool. Bear also lets you create notes on the Apple Watch, and you can do this with other applications as well, but I like Bear. Deliveries, again, has a good Apple Watch app companion. If you get coffee from Starbucks, I actually find the Starbucks app on Apple Watch is good, even just to get the, you know, scan your uh, Starbucks card to pay in the store. Sometimes I'll just hold my Apple Watch out the drive through and they can just scan my watch. That's a pretty cool feature. And I want to name just four uh, other apps that I saw in top lists around the internet. If fitness is really your thing and you're very active outside, a few apps for that. There's Outdoor Active, Walks and Biking, really great for tracking walks and bike rides. Lumen Metabolism, I thought this was a very interesting app where you can kind of input the different foods you eat and it'll tell you how your metabolism is doing. I'm not exactly sure how that works. Listeners, if there's anyone out there that uses Lumen, L-U-M-E-N, Metabolism, I'd be interested to know how that works for you. Fitness Plus is Apple's fitness solution, and I've used it multiple times on the Apple TV. The integration with the Apple Watch is just incredible. You know, being able to see your activity rings and your heart rate on the screen on your Apple TV or on your iPad if you're doing it there. Very cool. And one last recommendation for myself is if you do a lot of voice memos or like to be able to just talk to your watch and record that stuff, uh, there's a third-party app called Just Press Record, and it has an app on iPhone and the Apple Watch, and you can just press one button, record a voice memo into your Apple Watch, and it will sync to your iPhone, and you can also play it on your Apple Watch. But Just Press Record is a cool app for that kind of uh, voice memo thing. So those are my lists of some of my favorite Apple Watch apps. Wes, do you have any that you'd like to list? I'll go ahead and be honest, and I'm probably like a lot of listeners out there who have had an Apple Watch for a while and just hit the sync all apps option and then just never opened half of the apps on their watch. I found a, I found some uh, very useful apps, though. I, I like uh, finding good complications to use throughout the day. And I've actually yes. set up automation so that I have different watch faces for different focus modes so that... When I'm at work, I have the PCALC calculator app uh, and a complication in the top corner, which I would never use any other time of day, but I have to calculate certain word links and stuff quickly, and it's easier than opening an app on on the phone or something. Or I have the Apple Maps app pop up as a widget or as a complication uh, when my driving mode turns on and such. Again, I noticed, Stephen, that you've uh, not given Apple any love in your list. Um, I, just, I said shortcuts. I said oh, shortcuts. Oh, come on. Shortcuts is the cop out. See, I <laughs> I like shortcuts. I actually um, have a really good shortcuts complication uh, for my wind down uh, for before sleep uh, watch face. And uh, it's a button I can tap that lets me choose whether or not I want my bedroom heater on. Uh, it automatically turns off the lights in the TV in my in my bedroom, and it lets me uh, choose whether or not I want to start listening to a specific dark noise noise for an hour uh, while I lay down to go to sleep. Um, so that's a really cool like little thing that you should try. Set up some kind of wind down or wake up automation that you can just add to a watch face. Specific apps though, Carrot Weather again is just the absolute winner here. You can get into some crazy customization even on the Apple Watch faces just to give yourself like a five day view uh, or five hour view, which I prefer just to see your weather at a glance kind of thing. The camera shutter, the built-in camera shutter for the iPhone, that is a big one. If you do not, if you're not aware that this exists, you can put your phone on a tripod or, or lean it against something. 
open this camera shutter and see the viewfinder and set a timer to take your photo. So you can raise your wrist, tap the timer to take a photo, put your wrist back down, get in position, and it will take the photo from afar. Yes, very cool. Yeah, definitely a very useful. I use Overcast as my podcast player. There's an option to actually have Overcast put podcasts uh, in the storage. But again, I'm just never without my phone. Even when I'm exercising, I tend to have my phone with me um, because if I'm if I'm walking or jogging somewhere, never know. I, I'm just a nostalgic person. I like taking photos. And that's the one thing the watch can't do by itself. So right. <laughs> one day we'll get that. That's uh, Neil Hughes. He. Uh, yeah. He, he uh, reviewed that that. <laughs> camera watch strap yes this is hilarious oh man um i could not imagine and just explaining that to people like yeah i i have a camera on my wrist it's fine we'll be walking around with ar glasses soon so you know it's all normal i'll list two more of mine actually one apple app which is the find my which you know you have the find my app on iphone you can find your family members location the find people on the apple watch you can see them on a map right there on your watch which is very cool and they were a sponsor this week, but this is not part of the sponsorship. This is just because I use it. But the Headspace app for mindfulness and meditation, you can actually get the Headspace app on your Apple Watch and do full sessions right on your watch, like if you have AirPods and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Do you do the take one minute to breathe exercises the Apple Watch offers? I don't. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't. I Every now and then I will, because I've left the option on for to notify me, and I usually just dismiss it. But every now and then, if I find myself with a moment, I, I try to do it just because I do find it kind of relaxing. But anyway, a couple more apps. Like I, I have the August Smart Lock, and I love that this thing um, is also just on my wrist because people always ask me, "How do you have a smart Smart Lock? I don't I don't carry a house key. Like how how do you do that? Or aren't you worried something's going to die? Well, my phone and my watch would both have to die before I couldn't unlock the door right. to my house, and that would be a very rare event. Um, exactly. I don't think that's actually ever happened to me. There you go. <laughs> I'd have to get stranded in the desert for a week, I guess. <laughs> right. And find my way home. Anyway, uh, just. A couple more shout outs. Uh, I would say, you know, just like the iPhone with its widgets, complications are everything on the Apple Watch because people complain that there aren't custom watch faces, but you can get into some crazy custom detailed sets because apps offer some pretty unique uh, complications. And I would say, you know, if you want to really dig into it, uh, get WatchSmith, um, just like WidgetSmith on the iPhone. You can kind of go into detail and create your own specific uh, complications to put in the corner or it has different sizes for every complication throughout every watch face. Um, right. You can also do similar things uh, if you want better control over your home from your watch because the Apple Home app on the watch, pretty much it, it, you set it as a complication, it just opens the app and you have to scroll and find what you want to do. It's silly. Right. Apple really should offer at least uh, object or scene complications, but they don't. Home Run yes. lets you uh, create custom complications that I think allow what single tap actions for home scenes and such. Right. That's that's actually really handy. So if you want to have custom scenes for your home, like like I said, for like my bedtime scene kind of stuff like that, that's a way to get that on your watch face without having to navigate the uh, silly home app. Finally, I did want to bring up again, I, I mentioned it on a previous show, uh, there are actually multiple custom watch face apps, which Apple promotes. So it's really odd that they let that they even let developers do this. But there are apps that basically let you build custom complications around Apple's API system. So uh, the things that complications can show using the system is like the weather or a calendar date. Uh, there's, it's very limited, but it, it it does. Oh, fitness metrics. You know, basic like the the ring metrics. Right. This this enables you to kind of 
sneak around Apple's custom watch face system and create custom complications using images. Maybe you have to be an artist. You have to actually kind of know what you're doing because like a, an app like Facer actually has a development studio you can get on your Mac that lets you go in and draw and create specific complications, upload them to their platform, and even sell them. If you're like a really good artist, you can sell them. There's like a premium versions of this that that are being made by companies and stuff. And it's an interesting place, but and I've been keeping an eye on it over the few months. Uh, it's a subscription-based thing. I'm not paying for it because I, I haven't really found a, a watch face that I prefer to use. Uh, I was hoping more artists or more companies would get involved. It's it seems to kind of stagnated a little bit, um, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on because uh, the market seems to be demanding ways to customize the watch more, especially as it gets more popular. Right. Another one I found for customization, which is a little bit more. I, I looked into it. I didn't dig through the app too much because uh, again, I'm interested in this. There's if you just search the app store for watch face. You'll find a dozen of these apps. I looked into Buddy Watch, and a lot of these apps will try to trick you into just, well, I guess not trick you because it's free or, or whatever, but it's uh, like, oh, look at this really fancy uh, Tagquar watch face thing or Rolex. <laughs> and it's like, it's a picture of the Rolex yeah. face behind a digital clock. It doesn't move. It doesn't actually work. Yeah. So just be very aware that a lot of these things are kind of scammy, silly. Um, I saw someone f sharing um, on Twitter, like I did a Santa Claus watch face that looks like a emoji. It's like, that's an image on a digital clock. He doesn't actually move or talk. So oh, right, right. It, it, <laughs> doesn't yeah, work. It's it's a really easy to get kind of like, oh wow, I want to do that and find out what like it's not quite what you expected. Right. Uh this world's very new and Apple seems to be uh encouraging developers to do this, but custom complications for uh creating unique watch faces I think is really interesting. And I encourage uh you guys to go out there and check it out. Maybe don't try to spend any money, if not, you know, maybe a couple no, dollars, no, 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 but no. it's something that worth poking around anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our Apple Watch Roundup listeners. Let us know. Keep shooting your questions, suggestions. If you had Apple Watch apps that we missed, tweet at us. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Also want to thank you for your five-star ratings and reviews and Apple Podcasts. We actually jumped up in Australia somehow, like a bunch of spots. We're number 37 in the tech podcast, Apple Podcasts listings there. And we're in the top 50 and number 29 in Canada for Apple Tech Podcasts. So thank you all for doing that. If you haven't yet, it would really help out the show if you give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. You can also support the show with $5 a month, either directly in Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. You get an ad-free, uninterrupted version of the show, early access, and we also have an insider discord that I'm in and all of our supporters are in there, and you can join the chat in there. Don't forget, tune into HomeKit Insider this Monday, and I'm just, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you probably want to watch it on YouTube, youtube.com slash HomeKit Insider, kind of a special treat there for the HomeKit Insider family. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.